Thriving in divorce and beyond means not having to worry about the safety of your children when it comes to co-parenting. With alcohol abuse on the rise, many co-parents are turning to the system committed to providing proof, protection, and peace of mind. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Pull back the curtain on the mysteries of parenting time and trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Divorce and Addiction, A Guide to Move Forward, visit www.soberlink.com backslash Susan. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. And there needs to be 36 months of continuance from the time I close my mortgage loan. Let's say you have a 12-year-old and a and a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old. You know, in your divorce decree, a lot of times it's just lumped together. This is child support. Well, as a lender, I don't know how much you're going to be receiving when the 17-year-old turns 18. So it's really important that that's all spelled out how much you're going to be receiving for 36 months so that I can use every dollar of it if I need it. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host and listeners. We have one of our prior guests back with us today. You're going to be very excited to hear that Tammy Wollensack is back. You remember Tammy from last October. She was a guest for the first time in a wildly popular, oh my God, Tammy, it was like so popular, this episode. It was so helpful for you listeners. It was called, It's All About the House, What You Need to Think About before you decide to keep the house. And Tammy is a certified divorce lending professional. She shared so many tips and golden nuggets in that episode. And I know, Tammy, you got a huge outreach from listeners who wanted to talk to you more and whose eyes were really opened up about some of the possibilities of lending as it relates to divorce and mortgages, right? Absolutely. Thank you, first of all, Susan, for having me again. I was blown away by the amount of outpour from that episode. And you know, no surprise with your following and your um, your uh, listeners. You know, they really um, admire you and respect the thing, the people that you have on. But 
I was really like, wow, this is a really big piece of people's um, settlement agreement that they struggle with. So I was very happy to to be able to give that information to people. Yeah, well, I I appreciate your your kind words, but I do think that a lot of it is you are both very knowledgeable in this area and you have a wonderful way of getting this information across. But I, I also agree with you. This is an area, you know, divorce and mortgages. So often the home is truly either one of the biggest assets of the marriage or the biggest asset of the marriage. And it's also when you take the mortgage into consideration, it's also usually the biggest debt of the marriage. And those two things get intertwined and or are intertwined, but people get confused in the asset, which is the house or the property, and the debt as if they're separate things. But you and I know they, they're they very intertwined and very complicated. Yes, absolutely. And I help people educate them on really what they're negotiating. They're really negotiating the equity in the house, the difference between the value of the home and the debt. It's not the home itself. So sometimes that itself is um, eye-opening for them that they're really looking at what that asset is, is the equity. Right, right. And and as we pointed out in your prior episode, which I just want to remind listeners, we will have a link to that episode in the show notes, um, or you can just go back and find it in the archive from October of 2022. It's episode 263. But one of the things that people often don't realize is the fact that if someone really is wanting to keep the house, those words we hear all the time, both in my professions and yours, is I want to keep the house, I want to, I have to keep the house, but then they also have to take into consideration what's going to happen with that mortgage. And the reason we're doing this follow-up episode is you reached out to me very recently and told me something that you've discovered about lending under sort of what I'll call the, the current construct, right? The fact that mortgage rates have gone through the roof. They're up to over 7% in most cases. It's causing real problems for people. You found out something that I think is going to be really blow people's minds. And I have to tell you, it was a surprise to me even after 30 some odd years. So from that, you and I talked about, let's do an episode sort of sharing some of the real must-knows about mortgages and divorce that people get wrong a lot to their detriment. Um, and we're going to go over three, maybe four of those today. And I'm going to tell you all, the one that that I blew my mind is going to be in the second half. So you're going to have to stick around for the whole episode to hear that one. But I love that we're talking about these things because I've seen... So many people get burned yeah. by what they don't know. This is one of those cases where what you don't know can hurt you, right? Absolutely can hurt you for decades to come or years at least, you know, that it'll follow you through um, many years if you get it wrong and put it in your settlement agreement for sure. One of those things, and this is, would be the one that I would say I've seen the most often over the years, is that when someone goes to apply for a new mortgage. So they've decided they want to try and keep the house and they go to apply for that new mortgage. They either have no income 
or their income is going to be their support that's going to be paid out over time, um, or they've only been working or back getting income for a short period of time, and they don't realize that there's often a time component to that income. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. There's definite timelines that we look at in lending. There's receipt um, of, of income. So consistency and stability we look at for different income streams. Just because people have certain amount of income coming into their bank account doesn't necessarily mean as a lending professional that I can utilize all those streams. And that's a hard thing for people to wrap their brain around. They're like, well, I have this amount of money coming in my bank and that amount of money coming in my bank. And then I look at the different income streams and kind of chunk it down and say, yeah, I understand that, but I can only use this much. And so that makes it difficult for people. So understanding that and knowing what the timeline needs to be, especially when when we're talking about divorce and there being support that they need to qualify, I like to tell them what those timelines need to be so that they're fully aware of it and they can put it in their settlement agreement for a more positive outcome. Yeah, I think that that's you know, such an important distinction for people. And really, they don't understand that. And that's what I see, you know, so often people are in the divorce process, and there's information and decisions and questions and all these things coming at them from all these different directions. And they kind of think, well, I don't have to worry about the mortgage and qualifying for a new one until the divorce is done, right? I can put that off. But in fact, because we're talking about the fact that there have to be certain levels of income coming in and it has to be for a certain period of time. Actually, what's happening during the divorce could have a lot of relevance when you go to make that application, right? Oh, absolutely. And I'll give an example of this. Um, a lot of times people, there might be one spouse that leaves the marital home and isn't living in the home but they're contributing or they're paying the other spouse to maintain the bills and pay some of the, you know, the mortgage payment, the utilities or whatever. But let's say that that person is just going ahead and making that mortgage payment rather than paying the spouse themselves individually. And say so that the person that's maintaining the home says, well, I'm receiving this amount of income right? That's in their mind that they're, they're receiving it because those bills are being paid. In the mortgage business, I can't use that as income. First of all, that's considered voluntary. That person isn't necessarily under a court order to do that. It would be considered a temporary order if there was an order in place during the divorce. And then on top of it, it's not being paid from one spouse to the other spouse individually. So that's really important. So if I were to talk to those, those people, I would say, hey, have spouse A that's left the house pay you individually to your personal bank account. That way I can track it. That way there's a better a consistent history of it and I can track it in lending. And if there's a temporary order in place, then I can use that as my timeline to start the clock ticking. So we need a six months of receipt and 36 months of 
continuance. So that starts that six months of receipt if there's an order in place. A lot of times there's not. So um, then you kind of have to wait for the divorce to be final for that for that clock to start ticking. That's a big one that I see for people that they just d- don't realize. And you've mentioned something that I think for listeners might be sound very familiar because these are the two situations that I see very often during the pendency of the divorce. You either see the the couple split up bank accounts, but as you just said, one of them just keeps the one who has the higher income or whatever that might be, just continues to pay the household bills directly yeah. to Chase Bank, to CLNP or whoever the electric is. Or the parties just continue to have a joint bank account and they and the income goes in and the people pay their bills as they come out of that. What I hear you saying as you know a divorce professional or as a, a lending professional is that spending of money, that income coming in may not count when one of those parties now wants to go out and say, oh no, but I've got income. Look at this money coming into this bank account or these bills have been getting paid. Doesn't that count? if they're applying for a mortgage. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's exactly correct. So if they get to me early on and I can tell them, don't co-mingle the funds into a marital account. Keep it from your spouse individual account to your individual account. And if there's a temporary order in place, that can start that six months timeline. Sometimes the divorce takes six months. So by the time the divorce is final, at least, right? Sometimes the yes. divorce is final. <laughs> I already have the six months under my belt. And then I just needed 36 months of continuance. And then I can use that as income for qualifying purposes. Now, let's just say that doesn't happen. And, you know, the spouse that's left the house is just transferring money into the marital account. And then the other spouse is transferring it out and transferring it into their individual account. I can't use any of that as income. So the, that's what makes the difference is really the guidelines that surround this on how it can be tracked, how it can be counted for the benefit of what you're trying to do post-divorce. And I think for most people, they're like, well, you know, but this is always how we've done it. And, you know, it just never occurred to us we had to formalize any of this arrangement. I don't understand. We agree that that was support or we agree that that was by way of income or whatever. It's still your lender or your potential lender doesn't care. They want this done in a certain way. And what I think most people don't realize is it's to both parties' benefit to think about these things ahead of time to talk to someone like you who can explain all of this to them relative to their particular situation, right? And help them just get this set up because it's the same money. It's just being tracked differently is, is to use your phrase, right? It's being set up into bank accounts and payment streams so that it's tracked properly so that the lender looks at it and and calls it qualifying income. That's exactly right. We have certain specific guidelines that we have to meet in order to be able to use it as qualified, exactly what you said, qualified income. All income isn't qualified and qualified just means that we can use it 
so that we can lend to you um, and use that income for um, the purposes that you're setting out to, to, to do, whatever that is for you. Yeah. And so that might be, let me just interject maybe another big mistake that we see people making in divorce when it comes to divorce and mortgages is not getting a lending professional involved super early in the case, right. like as early as possible to, to just tell you something as simple as this or help you set up this income stream properly, right? Absolutely. The sooner that I get involved, the better. And we basically have an ongoing conversation as the negotiations go and certain things are thrown out as options then I get involved again and I say, okay, based on this new information, this this might look this way for you. Um, and it makes for a much better settlement knowing exactly what you're going to sign up for, that you can qualify to do it, that everything's set up appropriately to carry out the wishes for both parties. Because a lot of times if we're doing an equity buyout, um, you know, that's benefiting the spouse that's leaving the home. Also, they're receiving money out of the equity. So if it's set up appropriately, then it and then it's a benefit for both parties, not just one. Right. And I think people say, well, oh, my my ex would never agree, you know, to pay it to me directly. They they because they don't want to get tied into paying support or they don't want to get into that right now. And and in reality, especially when you have someone like you explaining how this all is intertwined and works together, it's to everyone's benefit because it's not just that they might be getting the the party who's not keeping the house. It might be getting a cash pay payout. They also when the refinance goes through or when the remortgaging goes through, whatever we want to call it, right. they get off the original mortgage. Oh. They're they're no longer under the debt and they can go get their own mortgage on a new house, right? That is so important, right? And that's something that a lot of times people really um, need to know and need to understand in order to set them up for success on how to, for the spouse leaving the house to be set up for success for them to go out and get their own housing. Okay, listeners, I'm just going to let you all know and admit it. After a long day at work helping people to navigate divorce, I currently like to unwind with a little bit of binge watching. And right now, Amazon's Prime Video is my channel of choice. We are watching Jury Duty at the moment. I highly recommend it. It's hilarious. And queued up right after that is the latest season of Jack Ryan. So if you want to try out Prime Video for free, I've got a 30-day trial just for you. You can go to divorcebeyond.com backslash prime dash video or just find the link in the show notes. And if you have some recommendations, be sure to let me know. Stay tuned for more from certified divorce lending professional, Tammy Wollensack, as she shares her absolute must-know insights about divorce and mortgages. This episode can help you avoid making some truly expensive mistakes. Is my loan assumable? And I probably told some people early on, no. You have a conventional loan. Your loan is not assumable. And after further digging and digging and calling people and trying to figure it out, 
Yes, because of the life change and the circumstances of the divorce, some servicers allow for a mortgage to be assumed. Now, there's so many caveats to that, right? And what I found is it's a tricky road to go down. If you are enjoying this episode, be sure to check out last week's show featuring America's favorite dating expert, the amazing Bella Gandhi, who joined me to discuss the hottest topics in dating after divorce. These are the things you need to know if you are getting back out there after your divorce or separation. So don't start swiping until you hear what Bella has to say. We're not on a date to win. We're on a date to connect. A date is not a place where you want to exercise how much you know and how right you are. It's like, well, I don't think that song was released in 1985. I think it was actually 1983. Let me Google it. Okay, date over. And now we return to today's show. You talked earlier about that six-month timeline that needs to get started. Here's a little kicker to all that. If you didn't start your six-month timeline during the divorce and it doesn't start until the divorce is final, that means you can't qualify for a new mortgage for at least six months after the divorce is final, meaning the other party doesn't get their payout, you don't get to do the refinance, they don't get out from under the mortgage, everything gets put on hold when the divorce is finalized, as opposed to you being able to immediately start moving forward towards your, as I like to call it, everyone, your new beautiful beyond, right, that you planned for. So it's another reason to to think ahead and get this all set up. Absolutely. And you know, one thing I'd like to say is your divorce attorney does not, their job is not to know this stuff. So a lot of times people come to me and they say, well, you know, my divorce attorney said that I can refinance the home in, you know, I'm court ordered to refinance the home in 90 days. Well, if you have support that you need to use to qualify for the mortgage and you're court ordered to refinance the home in 90 days, but I need six months in order to use that income, then what? How many times have you seen that clause? Because I've seen it All the time. many, many times, All the time. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and you're right. You know, we are divorce attorneys. I will tell you, you know, three years of law school and 30 years of practice. Nobody ever gave me the training. I've picked up a lot of knowledge over those years about mortgages, et cetera. Right. But I would never to presume to know everything about mortgages. And in fact, as I mentioned earlier, Tammy blew my mind with something that's coming up later in this episode. So that is the reason why you benefit by getting someone involved who just understands. This is just one little mistake that we're talking about or misunderstanding or misconception that people have. You've kind of alluded to another one, Tammy, and I want to make sure we hit on it. Okay. And that is we were talking about qualified income streams, right? Things that qualify to a lender as being income. Mm -hmm. Well, one of those things is support, mm -hmm. court-ordered court support, however, and you, that's what you alluded to. Many people, and this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, where someone is voluntarily giving yeah. the spouse money during the pendency of the divorce, which is very nice and very amicable and lovely, mm -hmm. um, but voluntary payments, as you said, are not considered income 
they need to be court ordered. So let's dive into that just a little bit deeper than we have. Yeah, that's a big one because a lot of times people um, don't understand there needs to be an order involved. And we not only does an order need to be involved, but the spouse that's paying has to pay as ordered. So let's say that they're ordered to pay $2,000 a month on the fifth of the month. And so, you know, they're going along and paying $2,000 a month on the fifth of the month. And then one month, they decide that they're going to pay $1,500 that month. And they're going to net it out because you owe them $500 for something or other. So they pay you $1,500. Well, that's not as ordered. And so that I can't use that as the, the income because they haven't paid it as ordered. So it's really important that in that particular case, if you if they owed you, if you owed them five hundred dollars for something, that they still pay the two thousand a month as ordered on the fifth of the month, and then you pay them the five hundred dollars that you order that you pay them. Then I can continue to use that as an income stream, and that's that's something that most people don't understand. You know, they maybe make up for it the next month or they net out bills out of it or they do all kinds of things and they think, well, what does it matter? Well, logically it doesn't really matter if it's all the same money, but for lending, it absolutely matters. And I can, I would have to start my timeline all over again. Well, and that's, there's a critical point, right? It's not like, okay, well then we'll skip March because we did that and and netted out some payments and then we'll just start picking up again in April. Oh no, no. It's six consecutive months yeah. of payments as court ordered, as ordered for a lender, right? For a lender, right. So that's really important. And then the other thing I see is they don't understand there needs to be 36 months of continuance from the time I close my mortgage loan. So this is really a big one because a lot of times, let's say there's three children and one of the children are 17 and they're going to age out, as we say, by the time they're 18. And let's say you have a 12-year-old and a and a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old. Well, you know, in your divorce decree, a lot of times it's just lumped together. This is child support. Well, as a lender, I don't know how much you're going to be receiving when the 17-year-old turns 18. So we would just take it, divide it by three. We don't know because you're going to be receiving 36 months for the 13-year-old and the 14-year-old post-divorce. But maybe you're going to be receiving 75%, you know, or 80% of the support. So it's really important that that's all spelled out how much you're going to be receiving for 36 months so that I can use every dollar of it if I need it. Right. And that's something, there are some legal complications to that because child support um, is set by guidelines in every state. We've got some episodes on that um, for those who want to go listen to those. So it's not always possible right. to know 36 months in the future or two years in the future when a child ages out what it's going to be reduced to or what the potential reduction will be because we don't know what people's income will be two years in the future. But you need to know that only 
say two thirds of what you're getting paid as child support is going to get applied toward your lending, your application for lending. And that's another little factor that nobody ever takes into consideration. Or is that big, like, you know, smack between the eyebrows surprise when it happens when they are making the application. Right. And so in divorce mortgage planning, I would look at that and say, is this possible? What do you think you're going to be receiving once the 17 year old becomes 18? And if not, then we at least we know what we're working with. Right. You can still at least make your plans for applying for the mortgage, the type of mortgage, the rate, the all all of the goodies. Right. Um, as you're working with Tammy to find out, you know, what the best lending situation for you will be. You're making it under the circumstances of what you know that you will have. Exactly. Um, and what the lender knows that you will have, which is really the the key point to all of this. So right. One thing I want to point out to people is that, you know, it is possible to enter into during the divorce, like while you're negotiating things. And this is whether you are in litigation, whether you're mediating your divorce, whether you're collaboratively moving through your divorce, however you're doing it, you can come to a stipulation, an agreement as to a temporary amount of support or a combined alimony and child support, whatever that might be. Without prejudice, you can say it's without prejudice to any future orders, but you can start that court-ordered support amount by stipulation, by agreement at any time during the divorce once it's been filed so that you start Tammy's or the lender's, you know, magical six-month course of, of action timeline going, right? That can be done, and there would be a lot of good reasons, as she's just explained, for doing that. And if you and your spouse have someone like Tammy, Tammy explaining this to you as you're going along so that you're thinking, and remember, you're thinking about all of this in that bigger picture of, do, does one of us want to keep the house? Is it even possible? What do the finances of that look like? You're, these are all parts of that bigger puzzle, but you have all the little pieces falling into place if that, so that you can make those decisions. So, so critical. I can't begin to tell you. Important. Yeah, absolutely. Very important. And I, and okay. And so now we have to get to the, the big one because I have to tell you, you surprised me with this one. And then it's, I tell people it can be hard to surprise me after 30 some odd years of doing this, but it, it brings up that old phrase when you assume you make an ass out of you and me, right? This was this is the one that that did it because you told me, and this is critical for people right now because we talked about this. Mortgage rates are sky high yeah. right now. And most people are out there are sitting there with mortgage rates that are joint mortgages that they took years ago on houses that are three percent and under four percent and wonderful mortgage rates. Yeah. And you just told me that in some cases mortgages can be assumable by the the spouse who's going to keep the house. This is so important. And this really, and you know, Susan, this is so funny because I've been in lending for 30 years. And if anybody would have come to me and said, is my loan assumable? And I probably told some people early on, no, you have a conventional loan. Your loan is not assumable. And after further digging and digging and 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 interview, you know, calling people and trying to figure it out. Yes, because of the life change and the circumstances of the divorce, 
some servicers allow for a mortgage to be assumed. Now, there's so many caveats to that, right? And what I found is it's a tricky road to go down because a lot of the big banks are saying, yes, your loan is assumed. But here, once your divorce is final and you've signed your divorce decree, bring that to us with this big packet of information. And we will tell you whether or not you qualify to assume the mortgage. So what the assumption means is that you're removing your spouse from that liability and you're maintaining that mortgage rate and those terms. And that's what most people want to do. That's a big topic. But huge. huge. I mean, huge right now. This could change people's lives. Everybody wants to do it. So you have to call your servicer and ask them. And if they, you know, some are saying no, they don't have the process in place. They don't have the structure in place to be able to do this. If if the lender does, if the servicer does, and they say you have to qualify, just note that you still have to qualify. So you still have to have the ability to carry that mortgage with any other debt that you're being ordered to maintain. And you still, if you're using support, they look at all that. They look at your credit. They look at all the things. You cannot add a person. Sometimes I have people that will add parents onto their loan so that they can qualify in a refinance situation. None of that can be done. So it's very important that you understand what you're signing up for, because now you're going to put it in your divorce decree that you're going to assume the mortgage and that you typically have a certain timeline. Well, the other thing that a lot of these large institutions are saying, once your divorce is final, you have your divorce decree, fill out this packet of information and it'll take us six months to tell you whether or not you, you can do that. Okay. And sometimes it's worth sitting there and waiting for the six months. But I would say, if I could say one thing to people is have a plan B. Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> what if they say at the end of the six months, it's not assumable. Yeah. Or you you don't qualify for the assumption, right? You don't right. qualify right. to assume it because, yeah. you know, that could happen too. And it's really important that you have a backup plan. I had a Oh, a woman come to me and she did this process and, you know, she came to me, she was ordered to either assume the mortgage, refinance the mortgage by, let's say, I, I don't remember the timeline, but let's say it was April. She came to me in May. And by that time, it, the institution told her she did not qualify. She was denied. She came by the time she came to me. Well, guess what? Now she only had 34 months of support left. If you remember what I said, we need 36 months of support remaining to qualify. And she didn't qualify. So then she was ordered to sell the house. So it was it was a sad situation. But well, and it's all unfortunate because it wasn't necessary with the right information ahead of time and the right planning. And that has to be so, you know, difficult and frustrating for you. And it goes back to one of those mistakes we talked about earlier is not getting a lending professional who knows what they're talking about. I do want to point out 
because you are a certified divorce lending professional. Yeah. And that is a special certification. And it means that you've had additional training, not just in divorce or in mortgage lending, but in under the, the circumstances, which I hope you can all see are so specialized here in this divorce situation for people who are, go are exactly in this point in, in time. Yeah, absolutely. It really taught me so much about the process of divorce since I knew the lending guidelines and where the gaps are, right, between family law and divorce and mortgage lending. And I helped fill those gaps by my education and knowledge and background. Well, and, and you're an important member of the team. I'm always talking about how important, you know, a good, solid team is to have someone on who everyone knows their lane, contributes their information and knowledge to the process. And with that, you can come to a better agreement that works for everyone. And we've pointed out in this episode ways that this mortgage assumption or qualifying for a new mortgage, this benefits both parties, but it takes this forethought. Now, one thing I want to point out to listeners, since the last time you joined us, last time you were with me, I think you were qualified to assist lenders in 46 states. Yeah, that's And right. you've now expanded to all 50 United States, so you can help anyone anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. That was really big, especially after I was on your podcast, Susan, because I was getting people from all across the country, which was amazing. And yes, I can now lend in all 50 states, which is a great opportunity to be able to help so many more people. So so now, no if you're listening, if you're in, you're in the U.S. and you're looking to you know get information and have someone with Tammy's qualifications, guess what? You can get Tammy. You can call Tammy up. We're going to tell you how to do that. But I wanted to also give you some accolades because... Um, and my congratulations, because you just, I think today, got your certification as a certified divorce coach from our friends at the Divorce Coaches Academy. Both Deborah and Tracy were recently on the show, and we were talking about the importance of divorce coaching, but you just got your divorce certification, your coaching certification, to really, I mean, another way that you're, you're not actually doing coaching, but just more knowledge for you to be helping people in the space of divorce, mortgages, and lending. I, I think that's so wonderful. Thank you so much, Susan. Yeah, it was quite the education for me. And I really wanted to go through that because I really wanted to understand how to best help people that are going through this huge life transition for themselves. And it's not, you know, if I have a, any other borrower coming to me, I do do other types of mortgages. I can help a first time home buyer. It's just a very different process for, uh, for me as a lender and for the client. It's not the same as if they were just going to go buy their first, their first home, their second home, whatever. It's more helping them come up with decisions that they probably weren't prepared to even make in a lot of times. So it was very good, great education and very useful. So I appreciate it. I love the program that they have at Divorce Coaches Academy. They've done a wonderful job with that. And uh, so I'm delighted to see people taking the, their program and becoming certified because they also 
come at divorce coaching from a dispute resolution background and combining the two to me is as, as a mediator and a dispute resolution professional myself. Um, I think it's just so important. So let's not keep it a secret. How can people get in touch with you if they have questions, if they need help, if they're listening to this episode going, oh my God, I need to know more about this. What's the best way to find out more? So I have my calendar and all my social media and everything at takeorleavethehouse.com. So they can go to takeorleavethehouse.com and find everything and go ahead and um, grab some time on my calendar. And um, I would like to say, you know, my services are complimentary because of my licensing. Because of my licensing, I cannot charge for consulting services. I can't charge a divorcing client and then not charge a first time home buyer that might come to me that needs education about mortgages. So there's no downside to it. No, there's a, there's no downside, and I hope you can all see the huge upside. Um, there is, it's never too early to call Tammy. It's never a bad idea to call Tammy. If you are dealing with a, a mortgage in your divorce in any way, it is a good idea to get someone, Tammy or someone who with her qualifications, good luck finding them because I don't know any other divorce coaches who are also CDLPs. I, you know, Tammy, this episode, I, the first one was so fantastic because I know people just automatically assume, oh, I want to keep the house. And we really dove into that. But these are, you know, these are mistakes that can change the course of how your post-divorce life is going to play out. And it can lead to like the tale of the, the poor woman that you spoke about who ended up having to sell her house, which was totally unnecessary if, if the right pl plan had been followed and known ahead of time. And it's just sad when those things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Setting yourself up for success early on and understanding and not taking a counter position productive position on something that may may or may not be carried out, but having all the information up front and helping ed when I help educate people and give them their options, it's not up to me to make the decision for them, but I do love giving all of the potential options so that they can make a better informed decision. So important. And these were these are some really good tips for everyone. So I hope you all got those golden nuggets. This opened up your mind, makes you aware of some of the things that you absolutely need to know and consider. And if you want to know more, reach out to Tammy. Um, I'll have links to her website and her social media. She does great social media, guys. Follow her on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. She's out there on all of them. We'll be having you back. You guys send in your questions for Tammy. And and we'll have her back. You guys did uh, a great outreach last time that she was on. I have no doubt that you will again. But if you have specific questions or issues that you want her to address, we'll bring her back on. So thank you so much, Tammy. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Susan. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. 
You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com, where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.